Hey, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kunal, your host, and today we're here with a very special guest, Jamil Alam Johnson, uh, an Associate Vice President at NASDAQ um, at the Office of Government Relations. Yeah, NASDAQ as in, you know, New York, Wall Street, pretty cool stuff. Um, and he's also a former Chief of Staff to Congressman Gregory Meeks. Um, and a community liaison for Congressman Floyd Flake, uh, and a former president of the House of Representatives Chiefs of Staff uh, Association, and the former executive director of Rockway Development and Revitalization Corporation, nonprofit community development organization. Uh, so it is very, very, we're very happy to have you on the show uh, this evening, and, and happy you made the time to come on. No problem. Thank you very much for ha ha having me. I'm not really good at doing um, self-marketing, but I was fortunate this summer. I got I'm, I've gone from associate vice president to vice president. So there we go. See, the, the more positive news, the better. Uh, so so let's get into this. Um, just for our viewers, uh, I guess talk a little bit about your background, how you went from you basically working on the Hill um, in Congress to now a vice president at NASDAQ working in government relations um, and touch on how your college education. You know, I'm an aspiring you know, college student, how that prepared you for the, for the roles you have? Well, you know, very interestingly enough, um, I never planned on taking the path that I did. Um, it goes back to the issue where the Quran says, you know, men plan, but Allah is the best of planners. Uh, when I was in school, I attended University of Virginia as my undergraduate degree. I majored in economics. So my plan initially was to go to Wall Street. And that's the kind of jobs I was looking for when I graduated. Right. And it came to a point, I took a job at the Internal Revenue Service and Taxpayer Service Division. Oh, the oh, IRS. Looking, yep, IRS. Not, not necessarily everybody's friend, even mine. Right. <laughs> um, but I was then offered, I had been work when I came home, um, my mother and some other people like Gregory Meeks uh, was working on a campaign for a minister who was running for Congress. His name was Floyd Flake. Right. So, you know, having that kind of post-college um, vigor, um, I decided to work on the campaign with no interest in working in politics at all, but I just thought it was a good thing to do for the community. Right, right, right. So being involved. Um, he won. And around the same time that he won, I applied for a, a job with a, a company called Morgan Guaranteed Trust um, that was located on Wall Street. And when Flake won, his chief of staff asked me to come in an interview. Um, so I did. And I was actually offered both jobs, the one at Morgan Guaranteed Trust and the one at Flake's office. Even though I had really did not have a strong interest in politics and wanted to go to Wall Street, I looked at the Flake position as an opportunity to do something for my community. Um, so I ended up taking that position. That's what got me into politics. Mm -hmm. I did that for about a year and a half. And then I went to a place called Greater Jamaica De Development, which was what they call local development corporation. I was there for five years there. Then I moved over to Rockaway Development, which was a similar type of organization. But this was more directly in the neighborhood in which I lived. So I felt, again, I could do something to help benefit my own community. Um, during that time, I went to grad school to major in international finance and said, hey, you know, it's time to get back into, you know, Wall it's time to get into Wall Street and do the finance job I wanted to do when I graduated. Mm -hmm. 
from UVA. Mm-hmm. Uh, around that same time, Floyd Flake had chosen to retire. Mm-hmm. Gregory Meeks, who headed the Democratic, um, the Democratic Club that I was a part of, had at that time um, become an assemblyman and decided to run for Flake's seat. And when he won, he said, hey, come on down to Washington with me. Um, so he, he knew I was looking to, to, to make a, a move. Um, so he invited me to come down. He was on the banking committee. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, being in Washington as his chief of staff. Wow. You know, that's that's my dream. So so I'm very I'm very happy that you you were able to, to have that experience working on. And I just came back from Washington. So, you know, I, I could I could taste it just just mm-hmm. that, that power and those corridors. Um, but but no, that, that's a fabulous story. Um, now, I want to quickly transition to talk about the aim of this this kind of project that I run, which is to stress the importance of voting rights in our country right now um, in this tumultuous time period. And I wanna go back to the year 2020. Um, could be, you know, very, very, you know, fear encompassing. It was a very weird year, uh, pandemic, you know, once in a century, uh, a historic election, you know, top to bottom um, everywhere, uh, including Georgia and the entire country. Um, but I just wanna hear your thoughts on the year 2020. And, and kind of what was going through your head when you saw all these events and you're you're in the financial center of the world. So, you know, I, I just wanna know your perspective on these events that are happening in our country. Well, you know, this is a very interesting time, even from the time that I came on the Hill, which was back in 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen the parties more divided. Uh, as a matter of fact, somebody I worked with once said, I don't think the country has been this divided since, you know, either pre or just pro-Civil War. I say the same thing, actually. Um, In fact, when January 6th happened, right, I was glued to the TV screen. I I was like, screw school. This is history in the making. Um, And I said, I I quickly, you know, messaged my teachers, my history teachers, all my professors, folks. I I said, this looks like pre-Civil War. This mm-hmm. looks like we're on the brink of going to civil war because we had studied it. You know, it, it, it's in our knowledge. It's in our history. But mm-hmm. no, do continue. Do continue. No, no problem. I mean, on that particular day, um, because of COVID-19, I've been working from home. Right. For the time for a year and a half. And at that time we were. So but I had the TV on next to me because I knew the vote count was taking place. And you saw at first the marches um, that were taking place down near the White House. And then a friend of mine said, hey, man, are you watching this? He said, they are storming. And I turned and looked because I kind of stopped paying attention because I'm just hearing, you know, news people talk about demonstrations and so on and so forth. And you get used to that demonstrations a lot when right. you're in, D- in D.C. Right. Then I turn and I see them. I see the crowd now taking over places where I, as a staffer, with an ID, could not just walk up. And I'm saying to myself, how in the world are they letting these people just enter? I mean, they were just, it was amazing how, you know, just unprepared they were. And the total lack of any semblance of force in dealing with these groups. Um, You know, so we looked at that and said, this is really uh, uh, amazing. 
And it really made you realize something I've kind of always known, but the fact of the matter is there are still people in this country who believe going back to the original draft of the constitution before um, the amendments post bill of, I mean, pre bill of rights, well, not pre bill of rights, but pre, uh, the Bill of Rights Amendments, but before you got the things like the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, right? who really believed that this is supposed to be a white male Christian country and that other people are not supposed to have the same rights as they are. And it reminded me that, you know, voting rights, which is something that was fought so hard by some people to get, but also fought against by some people to keep others from having is really a tool and a weapon to protect yourself. If you really look at African-American history in this country, even though the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments were passed, which ended slavery, yeah. if everyone born or naturalized um, citizenship and then gave um, citizenship rights, the reality is that those rights were not protected for almost yeah. Even to the point where cases that went up to the Supreme Court basically said it is not the federal government's right to protect the rights of the citizens. It's the state's job to do that. But it was the very states that were keeping these people from voting. Right. And so it was like saying it's not the owner's job to protect the hens from the fox. It's the fox's job to protect the hens. Which obviously makes no sense if the fox is right. Um, so you know, trying to, I, I really have developed a focus. You know, it used to be a focus just on trying to get the African American community to register and get um, voting. But since I've moved to to, to, to Maryland, mm-hmm. I've had a huge focus on getting the Muslim community to get registered to vote and to become active, to participate in the system, and to make sure that our voice and our influence matters. Yeah, no, and and we commend you for that. You know, it's funny. I would say the right, the guaranteed right to vote in this country wasn't for everybody. Wasn't truly satisfied until I'd say 1965. You know, mm-hmm. after the Voting Rights Act. You're right. After after the Civil War, the the produ- production of 13, 14, and 15th Amendments. It was it was subverted by the KKK and you know political expediency and it and honestly political corruption is there was no will to fight for for everybody's freedom to vote mm-hmm. um, and and I see a lot of parallels to, to today where states like Georgia Texas are passing voting rights restrictions and mm-hmm. and oppression on minority communities um, which is you know we're going back in time we're not moving forward. Um, and I, and I want to ask a very simple question. You know, there's only really one answer to it. Uh, but if you have another, I'd love to hear that one too. Um, is voting important? Well, let me mention two things on that. I'm going to mention a comment on what you just, just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that you mentioned voting rights being submerged by the KKK. Even that is a simplification because the fact of the matter is that the voting rights was subverted not just by the KKK, but by the elected officials, by law enforcement, yeah. 
by, by the court system. Yeah, liter literacy taxes, grandfather clauses. I mean, the list goes on. You had to pay. Sometimes you had to pay to vote. And African-Americans at the time had zero employment. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, anyway. It was one state in particular, and I can't remember what state off the top, yeah. top of my head, because of the poll tax that ended up affecting not only poor African-Americans, but affected the poor, period. So it was a point where like 3% of the people who should be eligible to vote were actually able to, to vote because poor whites could not afford the taxes either, which meant everyone elected was supporting the rich elite. Right. It was only the rich elite who could, who could vote. Now, you're right. The answer to your question, is it important? Of course it is. I think the thing to understand is why is it important? I think that people who aren't very really clear on it should go back and watch the movie Selma. Mm, good movie. Because one of the things that you saw in Selma is it was, and like I said, this isn't just a question of prejudiced people, not other people who have the right to, 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 to vote and participate fully in society. This has been ingrained into the government systems in many places, in many states. Mm -hmm. Said, you see, immediately after Georgia loses, which is typically have been reliably a red state, loses the presidency, and both senators, what's the first thing that they do? Is they look at the voting procedure that allowed places like Fulton County, which is where Atlanta is, yeah. um, to really turn that vote. And they say, okay, how can we put in place certain things that will um, negatively affect the right to vote in Fulton County? And so that we have more control as a Republican state legislature over what votes count in Fulton County. That was the whole point of that exercise. And you see it being followed in Texas because Texas is changing demographically. So they wanna make it harder. And these are, remember, these are the same states that were um, singled out in the Voting Rights Act. Right. And so the issue of how you get your voice heard, and I go back to the movie Selma, where, you know, even people like the, the, the sheriff, even, even in Maryland, the sheriff is a, 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 a elected. Once those people got their rights to vote, the first thing they did was they voted out the sheriff, right? They voted about, they were able to vote out those people out of office who were part of their oppression. But if you, you know, I, I often say, look, somebody's getting elected, particularly to those members of whether it be the African-American community or the Muslim community who feels that voting doesn't matter. I tell them, look, when there's an election, somebody's going to win. You're not being involved this is not like not showing up to a meeting so that there's not a quorum, so business can't take place. There's going to be an election and somebody's going to win. Either you can choose who's best for you or you can let somebody else choose who's best for you. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to use that. Uh, and everybody's going to yeah, mm -hmm. pretend it's mine unless they watch this podcast, right? Um, well, no, no, that's that's definitely sound advice. Um, and on the topic of advice, um, I want to ask a last question. 
um, because I know you have to maintain the, you know, the, the financial center of, of the world. Um, I know it's in that on my shoulders. Exactly. So I gotta, I gotta let you go soon. Um, what is your advice, um, to, to Gen Z, my generation? I don't know where they got Z from. Seems arbitrary, but, um, but nevertheless, uh, what, after why? I, true. Uh, what do you think we should do when it comes to voting rights, when it comes to interested folks interested in finance or even the ignorant folks who, who don't know what to do? Look at events like January 6th and say, you know, what's the point? What is your advice to, to those people? I, I'm going to say a few things and I'll say them really quickly. One, understand history of empowerment in the United States. And there are two things that go hand in hand politics and economics. They're two sides of the same coin. You know, they're brothers and sisters, they're yin and yang, whatever you want to call it. They go hand in hand. And it goes back to the writing of the Constitution. But if you really want to understand um, how politics and economics have been used against certain people, read a book called White Rage, and you will understand um, the reasons why you can't sit back and just wait for things to happen and understand why you have to be involved in both politics and strengthening your own economics so that you have more control and more influence in society. I, young people need to, to, to realize that what politics is about is deciding what the policies are who they're targeted to benefit and who they're targeted to, to, to hurt, and ultimately where the resources are spent. Are they gonna be spent in your community or are they gonna be spent in somebody else's community? There's a reason why there was so much time, effort, money, and lives put in to try to keep certain people from voting. Yes. So it's not a light thing. It's not pre-rigged. You can make a difference. We have seen, you know, governments change. Here in the United States, whether it be state governments or federal governments change because of the fact that certain people got involved when they did. Barack Obama was not elected other than the fact that new people got involved and decided they wanted to see a change. So get involved. You can make a difference. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and and yeah, no, I thank you very much for, for coming on the show. Um, you're always welcome back with, with any any new advice, any new topics. Anything, any advice you want to give me on what I should be investing on, we can have, you know, aside from, from this podcast. NASDAQ does not offer investment advice. That's the thing that goes underneath the... <laughs> well, I mean... We're a technology platform, not an investment advisor. But I would say this to, 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 to you as, as a young person. You start making money regularly, start putting a certain percentage of it aside right away. Of Look at things like um, some money toward retirement, some money toward buying you know, real estate, and some money toward you know, something you want to invest in, um, whether it be an entrepreneurial side or if you just want to be an, an investor. Learn to save early because it is through regular savings and investment that one builds wealth. If one, you know, a basketball, you know, an athlete, an entertainer or something, matter of fact, or something where you get a huge check. 
Yeah. Most people spend more than they save. Right. Uh, no, so you know, net worth, assets, develop assets. Yeah, no, I definitely. Um, but no, and nonetheless, thank you so much for coming on the show. We do appreciate your time and, and uh, do, do take care of yourself and, and Wall Street uh, for me, please. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me. I appreciate it. Take care.